Mansplanation is a show about two men trying to break free from the prison of toxic masculinity. They offer no professional advice or suggestion. They will occasionally use adult language and will often discuss examples of violence and malicious behavior, so parental guidance is recommended. Uh, the greatest. What's your favorite uh, metal band? Death metal band. Death yeah. metal band, okay. The Witch Taint? Witch Taint, yeah. <laughs> Look up uh, the, I think it's called the Death Metal Diaries, which taint okay. the Death Metal Diaries when you have a chance. I'll, okay. I'll send it to you. Cool, cool. Um, can we do a, the countdown like, like we did last week? Yeah, yeah, you started off. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Welcome to Mansplain Nation. A discussion between two friends about our mistakes in manhood, our failures in feminism, and what we are trying to do to make ourselves better. I am Tim. I'm Todd. Oh, you tried calling me like three times. Sorry about that. I texted you only once. Okay, but that, that I got like- wait. That might be from weeks ago. Did you try calling me like a bunch no. of times? Huh, okay. No. Weird. Uh, hi, Todd. What's up, Tim? Uh, you look, oh, yeah. you're cold. You look cold. Oh, I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. It's actually pretty warm here today. I'd say it got up to about 60 at one point. Oh, but that's causing some wind, some high yeah, wind. Yeah, yeah. The wind is awful here. It's, yeah, yeah. Like I, I told you in the uh, pre-interview that about uh, 80,000 oh. homes are with power <laughs> in the uh, area right now. So there's a pretty, I can hear it. It's, keep, it's keeping my oldest kid up for a little while. She didn't want to go to sleep. I, th- I think she didn't want to go to sleep, period, and the wind is a very convenient excuse. Any excuse, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's something different happening. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I got an excuse. Yesterday, she asked, she, she'll, she'll call me back into the room, and sometimes it's like, hey, I need a cup of water. Hey, I have to go to the bathroom. You could, and you, know, you, you do what you can there, and other times it's just a, a random question. Uh, my favorite one was when she called me, and she just said, hey, Dad, look at my chin, and that was it, <laughs> and she fell asleep. But last night it was... <laughs> Dad, if your heart fell out, but your lungs stayed in, <laughs> what would you do? And I just told her to go to bed. <laughs> please just go to bed. Please, please yeah. just go to bed, Calvin. We, we've talked about this already, haven't we? <laughs> but yeah, but what would happen? Uh, you would die. <laughs> yeah. You, that would be it. It'd be lights out, game over. Bill Paxton, man, right there. Have you had the, like, um, I don't know. Is there a what happens when we die? I guess there is. I guess I probably talked to my parents about that when I was a kid. <sighs> She's been on us a lot about that lately. Like, yeah. at first it was very serious and very solemn because we watch a lot of Disney movies and what happens in Disney movies? Usually your parents die. Somebody somebody dies. Somebody right. dies. Usually it's the parents. Usually it's while they're at sea and while you're <laughs> manifesting ice powers. Um, but yeah, so for a while it was like, who's going to take care of me and Emma oh. if you die? Oh. And so we, we walked her through the plan about, you know, the, the line of secession of relatives and everything sure. like that. And then it was, 
where will you go when you die? And initially we were like, oh man, this is a conversation about heaven and hell and things we're not sure if we believe about. And, but really she just meant like, uh, will you go in the ground? Will you be in a tree? Will, you, will I bury you at sea? <laughs> Stuff like that. Right. So. She she doesn't. I mean, I, I, I feel like the heaven and hell thing, that that's something we don't get until we're given it, right? Like, Yeah, we're not giving her it's, that. It's not like a kid, like as a child, you're born instinctually to believe in an afterlife. No, no. Right? Even though, I mean, if there is one, you probably just came from there. Is that your bummer this week? No, no, that's not my bummer. My okay. kid's awesome. My kid cracks me up <laughs> on a regular basis. What's bumming me out? My, what's bumming me out is... uh. I'm probably going to screw his name up because this is how little attention I've been paying to him. But the Jesse Smollett yeah, guy. Yeah, that's his name. That's his yeah. name. And it sounds like, by all accounts, he did a pretty dumb thing. Mm-hmm. He did it for attention. He did it because he didn't like his contract through uh, for his television show. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, what I think is going to happen there is he's going to damage the cause in that the next time uh, a white supremacist is out there and actually does something terrible – then it's going to be well, like, well, did it really happen? Or is this another Jesse Smollett? Because we have a tendency to blame the victim. We just flat out do it. And this is just going to be fuel for that per- type of person's fire. And the thing that's ultimately yeah. bumming me out about this is on February 20th, uh, uh, Co- American Coast Guard Lieutenant uh, Christopher Hassan um, was arrested for uh, uh, firearm possession and simple possession of tramadol. And then when they did a little bit more searching there, they found out that uh, he had uh, several firearms, thousands of rounds of ammunition, and a hit list of targets that included prominent Democratic mm. and uh, liberal journalists, or let's just call them journalists. And uh, one of these things is getting a huge amount of attention in the news, and yeah. one of these things is getting next to none. And I think if there's one thing that really annoys me about this is this happened on uh, February 20th. Mm-hmm. The next day is when uh, President Trump uh, tweeted several times that the press is the enemy of the people. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it was the same day, which – he would have likely have gotten a uh, press briefing about this, like right. his daily intelligence briefing of the day. There was a white supremacist who threatened to kill several key members of the Democratic Party. Right. And at that point, what he chose to do was to up the ante. Yeah, all, all of that, all that stuff this week is, yeah, that's been bumming me out too. This specific case with uh, uh, the actor from it, the Atlanta show. Jesse no, Sp- Empire. Oh, I thought he was on Atlanta. I'll be honest. If he was on Atlanta, I would know his name because that show, Godsend, and every moment of that show is genius. Okay, sorry. Empire, maybe I just don't watch it. Um, Okay, sorry. I'm confusing my uh, shows that have diverse black casts or, you know, casts where the the main characters are all of color. Um, Sorry for that. Um, But yeah, I, I... the thing that, and, and you got to that point, is that this is just overshadowing other things mm-hmm. because it's sexier to talk about and pick apart. Because at first it was an example of, you know, victim blaming, don't believe survivor culture, and the media mm-hmm. coming to defend him and people coming to defend him. And now it's kind of flipped. So it is, right? It's, you know, I I do not want to be on the record ever as agreeing or seeing eye to eye 
or have anything in common with the 45th elected president nope. of the United States. But <laughs> when he says those words, and I think this is this is the appealing thing about Trump and men like Trump, is that he says very generic, very bland, very catchy things. Mm-hmm. And so when he says the media or whatever the press is the enemy of the people um there is truth in that in how so because the media as a business is the enemy of the people because and when i say enemy it's the media specifically 24-hour news you know as a conveyance for more advertising doesn't act in the best interest of the people the way that journalism acts in the best interests of interests of the people. So when I see the word press, media, whatever, to me, when Donald Trump says that, he's attacking the idea of a free press and yes. journalists. Yes. But he's also attacking the corruption that comes with when you treat truth as a business and a thing to sell to people. I'm going to disagree with you there. I don't believe that Trump is. Oh, I don't think he thinks about it. No, I don't know. No, That's what I'm no, saying. I, I, I think he's like, this is something that is against me, so I better yeah. attack it. Yeah. It's um, it's it's not uh, CNN at 3 a.m. in the morning. It's not uh, yeah. the 25th time that a story has run on MSNBC. He is critiquing and attacking. Hey, these people can do damage to me, so I got to swing first and I got to swing harder. Sure. And 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 literally that's the amount of time I want to spend talking on it because cool. I don't <laughs> I don't want to try to lend any credence or intelligent thought to stuff that this man says. <laughs> um no, because it doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve it. it. Uh yeah. Oh, look, we're in we're sharing a brainwave today. Whoa. That's that's been a bummer this week. All all my normal media culture digests. What does this mean? Things have been focusing on it because it's a big story, right? Like it is a big thing that happened, and it does bear discussion. Sort of everyone's conclusion is all this is is now a distraction. It's going to be a distraction. It's going to be a talking point later on, and we we have a guy with military training. I mean, the, yeah. the Coast Guard is a branch of the military, and. As you, you have weapons training, you have tactics training, and he's a lieutenant, so it's not like he was a cook in, in the Coast Guard. He he was somebody who was involved in planning. He was somebody that, if he wanted to do this, the military has given the the ability to do this. And when I say ability, I mean that they've trained him, not specifically for this task, but for a task of okay, we have to eliminate targets, we have to attack people. So, and this this is something that's much more concerning to me. Had he not been caught for Possession of tramadol. Yeah, who knows what would have happened? Uh, God bless the DEA. <laughs> I think it was it. I'm not. I'm not sure if it was a traffic stop or something, and it just kept rolling down there. I think, if, from what I understand, he was caught with, uh, um, like I said, tramadol, and probably had a firearm. I don't know what that is. Possession. Sounds like what, something bad. Yeah, firearm, and then it wasn't registered, so they arrested him, kept him, got a search warrant, and then that's when they found everything else. Probably went over to ATF from there because they deal. Specifically with firearms and yeah. What is tramadol? Uh, tramadol, I believe, is a sedative. Okay, is it? And it right. It's it's. I'm assuming not meant for normal consumption, or it's no, like a it's dangerous sedative. It's a. Is it something common that you? Not really. Tramadol is not one of the ones I would typically come across. 
or have come across. And I'm going to preface all this with, I was never a drug guy, even when I was in law enforcement. Like I, people would come in and say, hey, Hurt, what do you think this, uh, this pill is? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to go into Google and find out and I'll tell you that. But so this wasn't I, something it, that nor- like normal bad people trying to drug. Is it's it not like weed, it's not coke? It's not it's not heroin. Oh, I'm no yeah. right. No, I meant I meant in terms of like, um, you know the the is it is when people say the word roofie, is this something that is kind of meant like it's that, that kind of sedative? I am looking it up right now to answer your question because I just don't know. It just says it's a narcotic and it can be used to treat moderate to severe pain. It is a controlled substance with high risk of addiction and dependence. So it could be something like along the lines of a Percocet. Uh, but it's not an opiate. Exactly. One of those. It's it's a non-opiate sedative. Yeah. So right. It's something... Oh no, it is an opioid. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's been Tim and Todd uh, read through Wikipedia. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. We'll do this for another 45 minutes next week. So yeah, I, in comparison, my, my bummer is I file feel stupid about talking... <laughs> about anything Uh, um, as you know there's something i think happening right now that neither you nor i are watching nope that many other people are watching are they are they really i used to be i mean i used to be one of those people when's the last time you watched the oscar i i mean i could right it's it's sort of like when we talked about the super bowl Mm -hmm. um it could have been the kind of thing that no i did put it on last year Last time I watched it, like sat down and made a point to watch it was Anne Hathaway and James Franco. So that would have been when 127 Hours came out. And that would have been probably about five to seven years ago. I I love the Oscars. I love, really? okay. yeah, this was a thing that I looked forward to every year because I love, I mean, I love movies. I love film. I love Hollywood, the industry. So it was something that interested me and also interested me as a place where there would be politics, whereas okay. the Super Bowl was oft was often devoid. I, like for some reason, I often think of like the Super Bowl and the Oscars as connected um, more so because I know the Grammys just happened too. But mm-hmm. I, I I don't know for some reason the Oscars always was like the like a Sunday after the Super Bowl. So I knew I had that to look forward to once football season was over. Okay. Um, because it was kind of like my Super Bowl. These were the things that I cared about. You know, who was, who did, who did the quote unquote Academy think was the best? And I mean, that's when I, when I say the the Oscars bum me out, it's the Academy that bums me out. It's what the Oscars kind of represent, but it still becomes this time to make a kind of political message. Uh, you know, Marlon Brando sending up his nurse who was a native American woman to accept on behalf and as sort of a protest against how Hollywood treats and by extension, um, you know, Western society treats indigenous people. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in recent years, as I've kind of stopped watching the, right, like, I don't remember the last time I cared to watch the Oscars or really cared what happened. I still use it as kind of like a barometer of uh, what movie should I be, like, what movie were people watching? What movie are people talking about? I definitely do that. I watched Roma. How was that? Great. I mean, I love Alphonse, Alfonso Cuaron. Mm-hmm. I would say... I've not seen all of his movies. I've seen most of his movies. 
I, it's it's a gut punch and it's a good like I really loved it in every way. I, it's hard for me to describe. And so right, one of the things I do around this time of year is watch the the things the the movies that were famously snubbed. Okay. So right, I watched Roma because it's like okay, it's Alf, Alfonso Cuarón, it's beloved. Everybody says no, this deserves to win, especially over the crap like Green Book or whatever else. Uh, white savior nonsense is up for an award this year. Uh, um, but it's weird because it's, it's, it's very much about race and class, but it still feels like a not white savior movie, but sort of a glossing over of, Oh, you know, kind of like crash. Did you see crash? I didn't see crash. Sorry. I'm, I apologize. I've never seen it. I've only seen clips of it. Okay. It sounds and looks terrible. Like it, it's it, it. Everything about it seems awful. I wouldn't call it that. It, it's more self-aware than I think it, people give it credit for. Is it? Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Okay. That it's trash. That it's making. This is like this is how people want to deal with race and kind of want the question and how we talk about and deal with racism and slavery in society. I'm ask you a question. What do you think Crash is about? Uh, it's it's isn't it about racism? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it about a white guy saving a black la- a white racist who like cop who feels up black women then saving the same black women woman at the end? Uh... And he could save her because all people are he realizes that she's a human too. Talking about Matt Dillon and he, he's he's portrayed as a pretty despicable character in the movie. Yeah. And even after he I mean, I'm trying to remember specifically the ending of that storyline i believe he does commit an act of heroism but it's like one of those things like you are still a shitty human being even though you stepped in and you did a good thing there's another scene in there where um brendan frazier he's a uh he's a councilman and he's trying to bestow an award upon a latino person and he's having a very hard time finding one and at one point somebody offers him an iranian me and he's like "Eh, it's close but not quite what we're looking for thank you Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of instances in there where white people are reaching, but not even in the right direction and not even far enough. It's 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 a movie, I think, that does have some self-awareness to it. Is it a perfect movie? God, no. Does it have a lot of flaws? Absolutely. You think it gets a bad rap as kind of like a, a movie about racism that misses the mark? Yeah. Yeah. I think it tries. I don't think it... Did it win the Oscar? That's why people talk about it still. I don't think it deserves an Oscar. No. And that's real quick. My complaint with the Oscars is I very rarely agree with their choice of best picture. You're going to be excited because what I believe is the greatest Oscar snub of all time, and I watched it again today, is Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Okay. Which, to tie back in, Kim Basinger presented that year, 1990, for the 1989 Academy Awards. She was presenting Best Picture. And she started on script and then went off script and talks about, uh, you know, how it, what it essentially like it's a travesty that do the right thing has not been nominated Ooh. for best picture. And like the crowd does not know how to react. And she goes back to script and people. And so a story I was listening to recently said that she was very much blacklisted by the Academy until they gave her uh, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress or Best LA Actress. LA, yeah. We, um, we've got five great films here, and they're great for one reason, because they tell the truth. 
But there is one film missing from this list that deserves to be on it because, ironically, it might tell the biggest truth of all, and that's do the right thing. Yes. 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 Okay, so on to business. That she was out at that, like she was, that she wasn't invited to host. She wasn't invited to, you know, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, that she used up all of her, her social credit to go out on a limb for Spike Lee because it is a phenomenal movie. I would wholeheartedly agree with you there. And especially after watching, I would go watch Roma thinking about Do the Right Thing. Because I don't think, you know, it's intentional. I don't think Alfonso Cuaron intended it. But just the way the movie is made and edited and shot and the point of, the point of view does feel very much, it's like, yeah, Spike Lee... This is this is what Spike Lee showed us about racism and class, but I think he did it in a more explicit, more human way mm-hmm. um, than Roma does. And and the bummer, you know, this it, it goes back to the Oscar, like the fact that Spike Lee made that movie in 1989, and he ends it by um, he it, it's in memoriam in memory of five or six people who were killed by police violence. Uh, in that in eight in 1989, it's like this movie could have been made today. Definitely. The only thing that's missing is cell phone, right? Everybody having cell phone and Radio Rahim has a giant boombox. Those are the only things that feel different about this world aspect. It's not like we've advanced so far that black men aren't being killed or stopped yeah. and frisked or anything like that. <laughs> and I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to talk about the movie because better people than I, and recently since I just listened to an episode of still processing again, a shout out to that show about do the right thing. Um, I'll post a link in the show notes because it's an awesome deep dive into the movie. It, it, to me, the bummer is just right. Like both, Hollywood, the Oscars, the film industry have not dealt with race the same way that the you know we as a society hasn't dealt with racism and class and ignored it and it's like that's why we keep telling that's why I feel like these stories keep showing up like the white savior story comes up because oh this is the happy ending that we want because we're all just people that's the reality that you know a Hollywood as business wants us to see because we're all just consumers it's not the way society operates on a whole you know not we are all not treated equally no by institutions by government by each other um uh, i'm looking through the list of uh nominees that won from the 1989 academy i think i got this correct i think it driving miss daisy you know what i was looking for the wrong year i apologize because i was looking actually 1989 but that's what it would have been presented but yeah you're right 1990 driving miss daisy was the winner and i only know that because i right i literally just listened to 40 minutes about uh do the right thing and specifically the oscar snob like yeah um to me that's that's one of the reasons why i don't watch the oscars because i don't think that it's a pool of old white men who've been in the industry for years and i'm sure they're talking about like well we got to give it to this person because we snubbed them last time or well you know this producer threw a really good party so let's give (laughs) it to him this year 
something like that. It's a popularity contest. It's a popularity contest that does not recognize a brilliant new talent at the beginning of a wonderful career at the height of their powers. No, I'm not going to say at the height of their powers. At the beginning of an upward trajectory. And I think in one way, it's hard to recognize that. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's an industry. It's yeah, it's, it's not celebrating the things that you like about filmmaking and movie making. It's not something you're interested in. Um, You know, the movies that are there that are being celebrated is stuff that you know and have heard of usually, because I think that has been the effort, at least in the past few years, that the award, the Academy of Arts and Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is going through these growing pains of actually trying to be more diverse, trying to highlight new voices while also being, you know, celebrating existing voices and existing talent. Uh, I, I just want to read a quote from that from Malcolm X. <laughs> That comes at the end of the film that I think is why I'm bummed out. Uh, I think there are plenty of good people in America, but there are also plenty of bad people, and the bad ones are the ones who seem to have all the power and be in these positions to block things that you and I need. Because in this situation, you and I have to persevere, have to preserve the right to do what is necessary to bring an end to that situation. And it doesn't mean that I advocate violence, but at the same time, I am not against using violence and self-defense. I don't even call it violence when it's self-defense. I call it intelligence. When it's self-defense, I call it intelligence. And and right, that, that quote follows a quote um, by Martin Luther King about nonviolence and kind of juxtaposing that question of when is it self-defense, when isn't it? And it's like, well, if if you're punching up, it's self-defense kind of thing. If it's somebody who is punching up, definitely, it's self-defense. Well said. Uh, what do you have? What do you have for us at the table today? My my table topic is completely different <laughs> from talking about do the right thing. Yeah. And yeah. movies and Roma and class and racism. Oh no! I, I no no. I, I think what I was just going to say is I, I really like what you do there. And whenever it's Oscar season, I use it as everybody knows about the movies that are going to be nominated. It's the movies that were snubbed or were missed or should mm-hmm. have been. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that I'm always paying more attention to mm-hmm. because, on the, quite honestly, that's where the real jewels are usually at, and it's going to be. An actor, a director, some somebody who five, ten years from now will probably get the hopefully will get the credit that they deserve. Right. Well, I, I I mean, I got Moonlight from the library because it was something I skipped because of you know the fact that it was nominated and it did win Best Picture. I was kind like, I'll oh, I'll see this eventually. Or, right. It was things like, okay, I know that's a good movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or I know that's a beloved movie or a movie right. that resonated with people. It's a movie that deserves um, two to three hours of your time. Yeah. So I'm going to watch it two years after the whole fiasco with it uh, because I I do really want to watch uh, If Beale Street Can Talk, which is mm-hmm. his, Barry Jenkins, his latest movie. And I'm coming at these movies because um, the, the, the kind of common thread that I have tied into my topic this week from movies like Do the Right Thing and Roma and Moonlight and why I think, I, at least I have a problem with the Academy and the Oscars, is that it's it's attempts of 
especially, you know, like do the right thing. This is all do the right thing is about is trying to force your identity or and an identity onto another person or have your own personal identity forced onto you that ignores like your own humanity and agency. So in do the right thing, um, you know, the, the main conflict is that Spike Lee's character is sort of aligned with the racist pizza parlor. That's kind of, that's really narrowing it down. The, the movie's way more complex than that. And that's at the end, you know, the end, it forms in a riot. And then he is on one side with the three white guys, one of who is very racist. And the other two are kind of like, you know, you know, the, the race, the, the racists who don't say the N word or the N word only comes out when they're threatened and angry because the whole main conflict of do the right thing is, or at least the thing that precipitates the climax of the movie is that there's, it's a pizza parlor in a black neighborhood owned by an Italian American. And he has a wall of fame with pictures of white people and only Italian Americans. Yo, move! You know, customers are like, why isn't there, are there any African Americans? All the brothers up on the wall. Are black. And ask Sal, right? Hey, hey, Sal, how come we got no brothers up on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. You can put your brothers and uncles and nieces and nephews, your stepfather, stepmother, whoever you want. You see? But this is my pizzeria. American Italians on the wall only. Take it easy, huh? And you, hey, don't stop with me today. What? Yeah, that might be fine, Sal, but uh, you, you own this. Rarely do I see any American Italians eating in here. All I see is black folks. So since we spend much money in that movie, can easily, you know, all the all the pain and death that happens at the end of that movie could have been avoided if he welcomed that culture into his own culture, right? Like if he put up a picture of Malcolm X. Always coming in here looking for trouble, huh? Suppose I busted your head, how would you? Uh, Mookie, Mookie, you want to get your friend out of here? What, are you gonna kick me out now? Are you, you gonna kick me out, huh? No, I'm not kicking you out. You're kicking yourself out. What? Look, we want some brothers up on the wall, you know? Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela, you know, you're Michael Jordan, tomorrow. Come on, Mookie, get him out, right? And so that, that's a long-winded way of me to go into what may, may seem like a complete jump of topic, but um, going back to that idea of like, yeah, this is about trying to force an identity onto people or place it, you know, trying trying to force people to conform to norms that doesn't feel right to them or is against their humanity. And so my topic is specifically sexuality and the Keynesian report. Mm. Yeah, because we talk about uh, we talk about sex a lot, specifically usually abuse and crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to read. Uh, I, we have a listener who sent us some notes. Very interested here. Last week, not this last episode that went up, the one where we talked about your example of when the 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 report came out about all the church cover up and my coworker. Yeah, I'm going to paraphrase a lot because she did not give me explicit permission, Julian Texas, to read her okay. t- the messages she sent sent me. You know, we talk about sex work in that episode, um, and I th- and I think before we can even continue to talk about sex work on our show conversation, we need to talk about sexuality and how we understand sexuality. Mm-hmm. Do you know the Kinsey Report? I, I'm I've, I know of it. I'm not going to tell you that I'm very familiar with it because I'm not. 
uh, in, I'm, I won't pretend that people do. So the sexual behavior in the human male published in 1948 and sexual behavior in the human female in 1953, they are case studies specifically, and they're controversial case studies because in the way the data was collected and handled, there are, there are criticisms about it because it was essentially looking for volunteers to come in and talk about their sex life and answer pointed questions about you know, what kind of sex acts they engage in, who they were attracted to. I forget. Um, let me see if I could find that really quick. It's a very long questionnaire. No, I don't see anything here about how many questions. But yeah, like one of the criticisms about it was, well, you were using a large percentage of people who were either prisoners or who were ex-cons who had been convicted of sex crimes. And when they went through the data again, the and removed that for, you know, bias of sexual, well, at the time it was called sexual deviancy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the good term for it is now. Um, you, you have one? What is it, sex crime? <laughs> sex crimes, I think they pretty much still use sexual deviancy. They still use sexual deviancy? Okay. Yeah. Um, but essentially, like, removing those from the data sample that it was still, the, the results were still similar. And one of the big things that get, still gets cited is that 10% of the population they surveyed um, were homosexual, like were pretty much on their scale fell as exclusively homosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, so so they used a scale. I think this is the first time at least you know in 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 scientific research they they were exploring this idea of sexuality as a spectrum um and not exclusively heterosexual and exclusively homosexual that there was a seven point scale zero to six and then uh there's an x so it's an eight point scale where the x is essentially no nothing zero asexual no no attraction asexual yeah and so uh just as I, there's this what i found very interesting in reading about it kinsey himself avoided using terms like homosexual and heterosexual to describe individual sexuality he said uh sexuality is prone to change over time and sexual behavior can be understood both as physical and psychological someone's psychological response to homosexuality may be completely different than their physical response to it right definitely it's you know the things that are fantasies in your head uh not necessarily are things you want to go through you know what happens in your head and what happens in your body are connected but they are they're 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 separate things in the early in the early episodes where we're trying to describe this show you always um present it as oh we're two straight white guys Mm -hmm. and i have trouble with that okay (laughs) i have trouble with identifying myself as straight and i always have then i apologize i'm not bringing it up so that i don't want you to apologize but it's kind of the point of this i mean well right placing assumptions on another person and then owning it and so yeah i guess i want to talk that through that with you okay how and why we gender and sexualize other people and how we're trained to do it especially as men definitely how we're very much trained to see things in terms of their sexual value. So let's cons- let's consider that the preview for the coming weeks for you to think about. Okay. 
do do you want to give any final thought? Any what you something that's been getting you through this week? Yeah, the only thing I'd say is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in need of a good laugh, uh, go on YouTube and look at uh, some of the comedic stylings of Brody Stevens. He's uh, a comedian who committed suicide recently. He's uh, struggled with it. Uh, you can tell through his comedy that he was continually on the force of strength and positivity, and uh, unfortunately, he lost that battle recently. You got it. Positive push. I'm feeling great. I'm intense. I get road rage at a car wash. I've done it. Give me wax. Under Armour. What is it? Okay, Under Armour. Whatever. I made a mistake. Edit it out. Two VCRs and a pause button. I'm Robert Rodriguez. From Austin, Texas, home of South by Southwest. We're in Hollywood. I'm from the Valley. 818 till I die. You got it. I'll take you up to Mulholland. Okay. I'll take you up to Mulholland. Okay, stay with, stop it. I got a lot of things going on in my head. I sleep on an air mattress. It's depressing. Literally, there's a hole in it. I'm back. I'm back. Yes. So uh, if, you're, if you want to see a man that's going to make you laugh, make you think, and make you feel good about yourself, check out Brody Stevens. And, and you know, and also make you sad because he, he, he just died. Let's honor his memory, though, by laughing at his, uh, at his talent, at his I, jokes. I just like how your thing that's going to make me happy is also going to bum me out. But that's just me. What about you, Tim? Uh, very quick, easy, giant steps, John Coltrane. Um, that's been blown up my word. I know that was going to perk you up, which I'm like, oh shit, man, I ran out of time. Been running my mouth about. Weirdly enough, I just read a, a children's book to my oldest daughter about that. Nice. And she said, dad, the story is boring. Can I listen to the music instead? Uh-huh. So we, for the next four minutes and 53 seconds, just listened to music. And at the end of it, she's like, I like that so much more. <laughs> I need to look. There's a children's book about it. I need to look a that children's up. book called Giant Steps. Yeah, I'll get you the information on that. It's a, it, it's a difficult one to read to a four-year-old. I realized that after I checked it out of the library. But oh, yeah, Giant Steps. Genius. Yeah. We're cutting our wrecks short this week. But we will be back with better, happy things next week. This has been Tim. And Todd. From, from Mansplanation. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Todd. Good night. You can hang up. You don't need to listen to me anymore. All right, Tim. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Uh, Thank you, Kala, for the use of our theme song, Freed from Greed, off the air album Trinity. You can listen to more of their music at Kulla.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H.com. For any references or things we've mentioned, for any references or things we mentioned during the show, you can check the show notes for links. Uh, And as always, don't keep yourself in a box. (laughs) 